Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. No Greg Columbus today. Rich McFadden from Radio America in for Greg today. And uh, along with Jim Garrity, National Review Online, as always. And today we're going to switch it up a little bit. Uh, Jim has decided that instead of the good, bad, and crazy martinis, we're going to go good, good, and crazy. So uh, switching up your hump day here a little bit, Jim. Let's uh, let's start it off with the with good martini as we uh, we usually do, and um, I, Trump's got to be feeling pretty good with where he's at right now when it comes to the fundraising. Yeah, you know, incumbent presidents traditionally have very good fundraising. The quarterly numbers almost always uh, are, are you know setting some sort of new record. But yesterday did set a new record, but from uh, for, for fundraising in one quarter. Uh, President Trump and the uh, Republican Party together uh, have uh, raised $125 million over three months. That is a record for a three-month period. Perhaps more significantly is that, you know, there are a bunch of campaigns where they raise a lot of money, but they're spending a lot of money as it's coming in. The Trump re-election campaign and the Republican National Committee together have $156 million in cash on hand, which is a really nice advantage to have and about twice as much as Obama and the DNC had at this point in the 2012 cycle. All right. So say that again. So he's got a hundred. They raised one hundred and twenty five million just in this quarter. They have one hundred and fifty six million dollars in the bank, which is about twice what Obama raised at that same point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's worth noticing, you know, having more money does not guarantee that you're going to win the race. Uh, Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee and her allied super PACs all did better than the Trump campaign and the RNC and the Hillary-aligned super PACs in the 2016 cycle. So, yeah, but you know, that he, was kind of a freak show. That, that was an uh, anomaly yeah. because Trump is so good at getting free media, and nobody before him or since him has been as good as getting that free coverage as he's correct? Mm-hmm. And what I, I read about this in today's Morning Jolt. I don't want to oversimplify it, but you look at how Bush won in 2004 – how Bill Clinton won in 1996, how Obama won in 2012. A big factor in each one of those was you have the, the, op, the out party has their big primary. Um, the, the, the eventual nominee is trying to fight both their primary rivals and, of course, looking forward to the general election. They end the primary short on cash because they had to spend a lot of money to win the nomination. Meanwhile, the incumbent president is just sitting there. And usually there's a stretch sometime around February, March, the nominee becomes clear. And the nominee doesn't get access to party funds until uh, the until they're officially the nominee, and that happens at the convention. So also, but they collect they can collect donations. You know, I'm making contributing the maximum for the general election, but they can't start spending that money until they're officially the nominee. So there's this big pile of money that's waiting for them, but they can't spend it till after the convention. Well, that gives the incumbent president a stretch, usually from you know. Mid-February, March, April, May, June, you know, if the Democratic Convention is going to be in mid-July. Wow. That's basically a free fire, fire wow. zone where you have a lot of money and the other side doesn't. Now, are Democratic super PACs going to be able to jump in here and help out? Sure. It, it's not going to be exactly the same for Trump in 2020. But you can do a lot to define the opponent in that stretch. That's certainly what Obama did to Romney. That's certainly what Clinton did to Dole. Um, and the other thing is, is that you know, when you've got 150 cash on hand, Think about where this race is going to be determined. You know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, Trump campaign really thinks they have a shot at Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota. Some people not so sure about that, but 
there are a lot of small markets in those states where you can run a whole bunch of ads for a really low price and get a lot of bang for your buck. And oh, by the way, they tend to be the exurbs and rural areas where the Trump votes are anyway. So, so um, yeah, sorry. So, and just lay off. You can see a scenario where by midsummer, this race looks a heck of a lot closer than the Democrats ever expected it to be. I saw an article talking about this a little bit, and they they were a little worried that Trump would have to spend some of this money fighting off this impeachment uh, investigation. And but at the same time, they were also not worried because the impeachment investigation is raising money for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The idea this is, you know, catnip for the typical Trump supporters (laughs) gets them to open up their wallets. You know, my guess is a particular question like, can you use campaign reelection money to fight impeachment? If you're running an ad that says, you know, Trump, he's doing a good job. Let's keep him where he is. You know, is that a reelection ad or is that an anti-impeachment ad? (laughs) Same message works both ways. So I I don't know um, exactly. I have to look at the FEC rules, see if there's any limit for it. But you could run reelection ads that basically amount to an argument against impeachment. The the gist is keep him where he is. So I don't think it did that much. All right, so on to our second martini now, and another good one at that. And we should probably preface this martini to let everybody know about Bernie Sanders. And uh, he's had a, a heart stint put in after a couple of vigorous days. They uh, He had some chest pains, got it checked out, realized that there was a blockage, went in and had a stint. This stuff happens all the time. He'll probably be down for four, five, six days and then back out on a schedule and, and have to build back up. But uh Good to hear that he's doing well and uh, and we should be back out uh, stumping about taking all your money here very shortly. So, you know, Sanders and Warren have always had this kind of hands-off truce with each other. Mm-hmm. That appears to be breaking down a little bit. Yeah, um, people have kind of been saying, look, they, they get along personally. Their uh, agendas overlap a great deal. Apparently, at the beginning of this cycle, they kind of had a lunch together and basically made this unofficial agreement to not really spend any effort attacking the other. And that works really well up until about now, <laughs> which each one is kind of a major obstacle to the other. And at some point, this truce was going to break down. Sure. Um, and the question is when and who's going to be the first one to take a shot at the other and how are they going to do it? And, you know, how tough is it going to be? I think we saw the first one in an appearance by... Uh, Bernie Sanders a few days ago. My question would be around the current budget, though. I mean, why you're telling us you got to raise taxes to do this. Why can't we adjust the current budget for defense and pay for us now, as opposed to making us, you know, this futuristic thing? Which is, and I'm not saying we don't do it. I think it's a great idea. We just have to turn it around because raising taxes is not probably going to fly for everyone. Well, we got to deal here in New Hampshire. But you see, this is the issue. This is why some people don't talk about it. Ooh. Boom. <laughs> this is why some people won't talk about it, who I won't mention, but who may come from Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> yeah. Again, not the toughest of hits, but, you know, clearly he's been very straightforward. Yeah, we're going to raise taxes. Yeah, we're going to raise taxes on not simply millionaires and billionaires and the big banks, um, but, you know, effectively middle class tax hikes. And but his argument is that, look, once you take away once you have Medicare for all in place, you no longer are paying your health insurance premiums. You no longer are paying your co-pays. You no longer are paying your deductibles. Um, you're going to get a better deal in, in overall. And some people agree with that assessment. Some people don't. Right. Um, Warren really doesn't want to go this far. Doesn't want to say, yes, I'm going to, the odds are good. Not only am I going to raise taxes on rich people, I'm probably going to raise taxes on you, the people listening to me at these events. 
for two people who agree a great deal, this is one area of difference. And if you're Bernie, it probably does feel like a, a fair shot to say, look, I'm being honest about the cost of this. She isn't. By the way, you know, as you mentioned before, um, it sounds like Bernie Sanders will be off the trail for a couple of days, but otherwise it sounds like he's doing okay. He's in good spirits. Whatever you think of Bernie Sanders, I hope he lives a long and happy life and is, uh, is doing fine. So it'll be good to see him back out there. Yeah. Um, if he does recover in time for the next Democratic debate, which is, I believe, around the middle of the month, um, boy, you're just going to hear a big roar of applause. Everybody's glad to see him back up on his feet. And that's it, that'll be interesting to see whether he gets a bump from this, like a sympathy mm-hmm. bump or just an attention bump. Uh, and I'm, you, you got to wonder whether any kind of big news about you gets you any kind of attention and any kind of bump along with it. That'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, and also worth noting, though, like, look, many folks have observed the age issue for a bunch of these front running, front, you know, for actually everybody who's got a major shot of being president starting in January 2021 is a septuagenarian. Uh, Bernie Sanders is the oldest of them. And maybe this might hurt him. Maybe people are worried about his health. Um, you know, it'll be very sensitive and a very touchy issue to uh, for anybody to bring up directly. But uh, we'll, we'll see how things shake out there. Well, I, Again, I'm, I'm just curious. To, I mean, the, the way you set up this story, I, I'm really curious to see whether Bernie, who's up front about I'm going to raise your taxes, and Warren, who's just kind of like this shell game, who ends up winning and and how that plays out. That'll be very interesting to watch. Now, All right. Walter Mondale offers a useful lesson on this. <laughs> People may respect your honesty when you say, yes, I'm going to raise your taxes, but I won't vote for you. <laughs> All right. And on to our crazy martini of the day. Uh, Trump's down talking about the border, and um, it's uh, it's a little Dr. Evil message, right? Oh, my God. You know, so he wanted alligators at one point. He wanted retractable spikes that could pierce people's hands uh he wanted a moat he you know it, it really is like one or two steps away from can i get sharks with friggin lasers on their heads it's too much to ask and look I, I think there is a broad consensus in this country for border security people don't want people coming into this country without permission it does get into, and you know, people disputing about whether Trump was joking, whether he was serious about this stuff. It certainly sounds like he's bringing this up in meetings with the um, Department of Homeland Security, and they're apparently they like they were running the numbers on this. Rich, I'd really like, like who do you call to say? So, how much would it cost to build a moat along the entirety of the U.S.-Mexico border and stock it with uh, alligators? Do you, do you call up like I love the, the it. Gator World in Florida and I say, "Hey, love it." If we need a few thousand alligators and uh, food for them and all that stuff, well, well you don't need food for them. <laughs> it's called border crossers. <laughs> That's their food. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, listen, remember, everybody thought he was crazy when he started talking about Star Wars. And and look at it now. It is a real thing and it's it's a necessary thing. So I, maybe the guy's just ahead of his time. Yeah, I also would note that I do think that the, the also the other probably the more disturbing aspect of that conversation where he's recommended to border security. First, it was if they're throwing rocks, why don't you shoot them? And they said, well, actually, Mr. President, the law says we're not allowed to use deadly force against people in those circumstances. Well, then he said, why can't you shoot them in the leg? Now, Grish, I'm sure you remember, particularly every time there's a controversy about a police shooting, there's at yeah. least one letter to the editor that says, why can't they shoot the gun out of the gunman's hand? Right. And cops will say, because it's not Starsky and Hutch. That's why. <laughs> you know. 
This stuff is hard. Hitting a guy, at a, you know, depending on the range and the circumstances, can be really hard. You know, there right. are gunfights for people um, because of what they call you know, kind of like a it's not, it's not gunfight blindness, but it's like monovision, where basically people tune out everything else, and you can actually end up missing everything. You know, but shooting people by themselves is hard enough. Um, you know, and by the way, as much as we want the border secure. For obvious reasons, American people are not going to be big fans of right. U.S. law enforcement shooting people who are unarmed. So um, Now, webcam yeah. posted on a fence and a gator getting into a fight with somebody trying to get that might be a different deal. Rich, if we arm the alligators. <laughs> Put spikes and electric shock devices on the alligators. There we go. That's there we go. it. We, 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 yeah, we... That's it. I I can't wait to see where this one goes. All right, so there you are. You have your good, your good, and your crazy for your Wednesday martinis. Uh, tune in again tomorrow. Greg Columbus will be back along with Jim Garrity, National Review Online. Until then, I'm Rich McFadden saying thank you and have a great Wednesday.